Hey everyone, welcome back to the Saxa Podcast, the first five years. I'm one of your hosts, Agassi Rodriguez at Clemson University. Hi everyone, this is Erica Aguiar, one of your other co-hosts, calling from the University of Florida. Agassi, happy Friday, Friday. Mm-hmm. How are you doing, friend? We're holding up. We got some Dunkin' this morning, so you know it is a good Friday. I feel like I, I'm constantly talking about how I'm like drinking coffee, but every time I'm drinking coffee, usually it's a good day. Or, you know, or it's 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 a necessity at that point. But today it's it's a good day. It's Friday. The boy is coming home after two weeks of being away, and I'm so excited to see his face. Uh, but you know, I feel like this is usually a Carter Appreciation podcast here and there. So like I, I need to inform our audience that he is coming home. We we missed him. Well, I I I didn't miss him per se because I don't I don't live with with him or even South Carolina, but uh, I know based on your eating habits this week that you've certainly missed sweet sweet Call me out, girl. Just call me out. Just call me out. I unfortunately have had to take out a lot of takeout. Um, usually, Carter and I uh, cook together, but uh, it's been a lot of takeout over the last uh, week or so. <laughs> Ain't no shame. You do, you do you, and I hope you had some good eats. I think now I'm hungry now that we're talking about this. Sorry. So hi, everyone. Welcome back to our sweet little pod. For all of you who are tuning in for the first time, welcome. We are the first five years talking about um, a podcast, talking about new professional issues for anyone in the beginning stages of higher ed, new professionals, graduate students, undergrads. And as we always say, the occasional VPSA. They haven't logged on yet, but one day they will. Just the occasional. Just if you're out there, please let us know. And as always, our goals with this podcast is that we hope to bring you timely information based off of the calendar and the time of the year. And of course, to provide a public voice for graduate students and new professionals in higher education and student affairs. So we're really excited introduce our new guest but Agassi I'm really excited for you to introduce them because I think you'll do it more justice than I could do it more justice um, we are so excited to bring on my supervisor Kate Radford to our conversation Kate Radford is the director of leader Education and Development in the Center for Student Leadership and Engagement at Clemson University. She is a graduate of Elon University and completed her master's work at Clemson. Affectionately and in our office, she is known by our colleagues as the backbone of our university. Please welcome Kate Radford. Welcome, Kate. Thanks for having me, y'all. I'm excited to be here. I mean, what an intro. What an intro. What an intro. we don't take that title lightly, I will say. It is something that we rather reinforce rather regularly in our space. She, for her birthday this uh, about a week ago, she did get an award that was the back one of the institution award. I just want to know. Agassi's not lying. It's hanging in my office, and you can't see me, but I am blushing over here. So, I, I mean this question with all care, but and I don't want it to sound shady. Was this like a real award or like a birthday award it's okay whatever the answer is but I also know there was an award ceremony at Clemson recently so I just want to make sure that I am calling it what it is you know it's funny that you asked that so my award is fictitious um but it looks just like the real ones that were awarded at our most recent staff um award ceremony so I think I could trick an outsider into believing it was a real award if you weren't at that ceremony 
It looks you can trick me. Legit. Be tricked. Gage is also very modest because if my memory serves me correctly about the history of that nickname, it's when she won an award from the Board of Trustees at Clemson University. And that is where the title of Backbone of the Institution was born out of, if I remember correctly, because this institution would not run without Kate Radford. <laughs> like America runs on Duncan. Sponsored by Duncan. Agassi is too kind, too kind. Wow, a board of trustees award. I'm calling it a boda. I don't. A boda. A boda. It's like those box wines, aren't they? Like bada, bada box. It's like what you got. It's like oh, I bought a box. Hey, <laughs> it's a hey, boda box. Both of them provide me some equal levels of joy. Yeah, I remember I did one shade box wine. I think on Facebook or Twitter once, uh, and I did have Erica actually in my DMs talking about, oh, this is the kind of wine that I'd be drinking. And I'm like, Erica, like you feel very attacked right now personally, don't you? Any wine is good wine. Although Agassiz used to throw shade at me in college for barefoot wine. I don't drink it anymore. Okay. We were all there. So today we brought on Kate Radford to talk a little bit about um, what happens once you kind of are nearing the end of a job search process. Once you start potentially thinking, hey, I think someone's about to say yes, or maybe you already got a yes and you have to figure out, okay, what's what's the next step after this? So to round out our conversation on the job search process, this is the last episode in our, in our full arc on the job search. Uh, we have brought Kate to talk specifically about that. And oh, Erica... I just realized dun, 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 that we forgot to give you our challenge word. I don't want it. No, you're going to get keep it. keep missing them. No, you, I promise. Well, I don't promise anything, but I do think, I, as always, I believe in you. But your word is the word that was said multiple times in a class recently that for some reason I could not keep a straight face as people were saying this word. Um, but your word is minutia. I don't even know how to spell minutia. I got you. So minutia, it is plural. So minutia is the small, precise, or trivial details of something. So like the minutia of everyday life is, is the same. So think about small, precise, or trivial details. So like if someone's telling a story, um, and we're specifically talking about data analyzing in the context of when this word happened, but I promise you, I, for some reason, could not keep a straight face as people kept talking about minutia. I am angry at you. But thank you for my challenge word. But actually, before we do anything, hey, what's the last thing you ate this week? Oh, man. Okay. So I'm going to be honest that I haven't had a lot of great meals this week. Um, so I don't even think I can give you a meal that was great. But I do need to plug for a moment Trader Joe's plantain chips with drizzled chocolate mind-blowing truly mind-blowing I follow a woman on Instagram who does like the Trader Joe's list and she like does a haul and then like tells you all about it and I've just been taking her recommendations almost directly at this point and just buying whatever she buys in her haul on a weekly basis and she recommended them like a couple months ago but I Agassi knows this about me I did a sugar-free February which was a real life choice, but we've made it through and I couldn't eat them then. So I just opened them and holy moly, they're amazing. It's like the salty, the sweet, they're crispy. I'm, I cannot recommend them enough. They are for sure the best thing I've eaten this week. I got those a couple weeks ago and I think I finished the whole bag in two days. 
which is not what is recommended. For me, a plantain, much like a banana, is fruit. So it was basically a fruit salad. I don't think that my um, you know, body processed it the same as it might a banana, but that's fine. Agassi, what about you? So I don't have any plantain chip stories, uh, unfortunately, so I cannot connect, but they do sound amazing. As someone who loves uh, chocolate or yogurt-covered pretzels, I'm absolutely here for the sweet and salty combo. Uh, pretzel uh, M&Ms, when they were available, I think they were limited time, amazing choices. I think, for me, one of the best things that I ate this week, again, been doing quite a little bit of takeout here and there, you know. Um, I do have to say, though, that I did have <laughs> – what did I have – I'm struggling a little bit. Okay. So I did have, I think, a very small thing, because, again, I, I had a lot of takeout, uh, was specifically some sriracha cashews, um, which were very good um, and very similar to, I think, Erica's story. I did almost eat the entire bag in one sitting. Um, I do feel as though sometimes I, you know, just don't really look down. I just like kind of just kind of like keep putting it on the hand. And then when I turn, I was like, Oh, we're, we're almost out of that. Let's just put it away with like four cashews left in the bag um, is usually my MO. So there's just a pantry full of like chip bags that just have like four or five chips collectively and crumbs in the pantry. But that was probably one of the better things that I ate this week. <laughs> okay. I, I don't have a snack to share. I wish I had, I haven't been to Trader Joe's in a bit. But actually, the best thing I ate this week, I'm going to predict. So right after this call, um, every Friday, me and my partner grab lunch at Krishna, um, which I've talked about before. And Friday is chili day. So it's vegetarian chili over rice with the, the world's best salad. And it's cheesy potatoes. And uh, I always say it wrong. I don't know if it's halva or halava. I am sorry that I'm saying it wrong, but it's chocolate today. It's really good. And I'm going to have that as soon as we hang up here. It's like a ball of dessert. I don't really know how to describe it. It's just delightful. But yeah, we call it Krishna lunch because the Hare Krishna is served on campus. And I am so excited to eat that. And I know that it'll be the best thing I ate this week. So now I want to. Jealous. That sounds amazing. That does sound amazing. Way above my sriracha cashews. And I do have to say, I, when I think back to my experience at the University of Florida, one of the things I do miss the most it's spaghetti Wednesdays with the Krishnas. Which, as you know, is now gone. I know, I know. You've already mentioned it, and you just, like, turned the, the, the you, like, t- you, like, turned the dagger in the wound, I feel like, <laughs> or added salt to the wound, because I'm so sad the about that. Is, the salad is still but there. But the salad is still, the salad there. Is still there. That is good. Well, thanks, everybody, for taking part and for sharing what is the best thing you had this week. Um, for our next section, we're going to bring our producer, Myra Soretz, into the conversation to ask us a few would-you-rather questions. Uh, for context, I think it is important to share that Kate and Mile are colleagues, of course, in our office and are also very good friends. So I am predicting that this is going to be an unhinged version of the Would You Rather. Uh, if you've watched the Savannah Lockman episode, um, I would say on par, if not more potentially around that area. So um, without further ado, Miles, take it away. Hello, everyone. Happy uh, today. Um, you know, not to, not to timestamp this thing. Um, happy to be very professional for the next, uh, for the next five minutes. Um, so my first, would you rather is, would you rather move as your life currently exists 
and all of the sort of needs and complications that are associated with that could be partners, pets, animals, whatever the case may be. Would you rather move in back into a residence hall or would you rather live the rest of your life without heating and air conditioning? Oh, that is like not hard for me at all. I would straight up move into a residence hall. I could not live without heat and air conditioning. I, yeah. I actually, so I never worked in residence life. So maybe this is a decision that I like am taking too lightly. Um, Cause beyond living on campus as a first and second year student in college, I have not had that experience in a long time. Um, but I think I could do it. I think I could live in a residence hall. And I think my two boys would just love living on a campus. Sammy, the dog, maybe not so much, or maybe more specifically, people around me wouldn't love that as much, but. Miles, as always, I have a clarifying question. Am I moving into a residence hall room or am I doing more of like a, an area coordinator situation where I've got like an apartment style? That's a good question. I think I'm thinking room here. Okay, well then my answer is that I would live without heat and air conditioning in Florida. And here's why. I lived my first year as a professional at the University of Florida in the world's worst apartment. And I did not use my air conditioning because every time I did, my utility bill was $400. It was outrageous. So I learned to use overhead fans and I learned to use you know, a, a tall fan that blew air and I was mostly fine. So. I like my space um, and I would just have a lot of fans on me at all times, but you're not putting me and partner in the residence hall that I lived in because it was small and dark. So, no, thank you. Yeah, I got to admit, that maybe does change my decision. We're talking a room. I do have two kids and a dog. So, oof, I don't know. I will say Miles and Agassi know this, but my children and the dog usually end up in my room by some point in the middle of the night anyway like they end up so I don't know maybe it wouldn't be that bad but yikes I would absolutely have to go the live off campus without the heat and air um I think I could do that I grew up barely ever using the AC for me growing up AC was like that's money and that's not something we always really had so I remember my mom my I specifically remember sometimes my mom saying okay we're gonna turn on the AC and then it was like my job to go around the entire house and close all the windows because all of them were open uh mind you we live in like a first floor it's like a you know one bed like a one 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 story home so it like we always had the windows open and the fans on because we lived in Miami. It was hot. So I would def go that route. All right. My next, uh, my next question is, would you rather um, have a belly button piercing get caught on an item of clothing once a day uh, while you're removing it or every night sleep inside a children's play castle inside your home? So those are your those are your two options. Miles, is there a reason you ask these questions so specifically and with such um, you know, odd details about someone's life? Um, odd minutiae. Yeah, oh, there it is. There it is. Um 
Wow. 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 What was the part about the castle that I would sleep in it permanently? Yeah, every night you're sleeping in you're sleeping inside a children's play castle. And Kate, to answer your question, I have a very vivid imagination, and I appreciate you recognizing that. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. This is this would never happen. Neither of those circumstances ever would ever ever happen. Um, you know, if I can bring comfortable, you know, blankets and such into that castle the sleeping space is, is not that much different than my own bed. So I think I would probably go with that. There's some good protection of the castle. Um, you know, I don't think you're referring to specific castles, but I know of one that might've been in my home. Um, that has a great little like secret door. Um, so I could go in and out via that door. So yeah, I'd probably go with sleeping in the castle every night. I feel like I do have follow-up questions, but I, you know, no matter what the answer to the follow-up questions are, it's, I would go the castle route 100%. Um, uh, specifically, my questions were around, you know, does the castle have Wi-Fi? Um, do I have a moat or get around said castle to protect me at night? Because I do think that does offer some um, strategic advantages in this situation if there, like, is a moat that would, like, protect me at night. Um, but I would definitely go uh, the castle route. As a child who was very uh, 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 enjoying of forts um, and pillow and blanket forts, absolutely the castle wrap. Yeah, so I have never had nor plan to have a belly button ring. However, what I will say is that I was a cheerleader for seven years and I have had earrings ripped out. I have seen other people get their belly buttons, you know, messed with. I had a girl kick me so hard in the face that my braces were imprinted on my mouth. And to do that once a day, I honestly think I would choose that. Like I, it's, it's like a little bit of pain, but if it's just tugging, like it goes away in half a second. It's like someone, you know, flicking me really hard once a day. I need comfortable sleep. I need my queen size bed. I have a firm pillow top. It is the only thing in this world that's dramatic. It is one of the most important things to me in this world. Yeah, kick me in the face once a day or, you know, pull an earring out. And as long as I get to sleep comfortably, I'm fine. Side note, have you ever seen, have you ever seen uh, an Alaska king bed? It literally feed. No it one, literally. No one needs that. It, what? I need that. What are you talking about? I need you to look that up right now because I honestly, before this TikTok, I had no idea that bed sizes went bigger than like a California king. But there's a Wyoming king. There's a uh, the Alaska king, um, and it literally in the picture like sleeps like six people. <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> for folks with families, not just, you know, a partner and a dog, uh, this hey, might be for you. I'm so curious about the naming of those. Like, I've always wondered California King, why it was California. So, yeah, Alaska, like, what? where does that come from? I also, too, wondered that. And I, I was talking to someone about it. And they said, do you think it's because Alaskan people have big families? I was like, ah, I don't know if that's what it is. But... Uh, <laughs> That's yes, funny. look up the Alaska King. It is huge. Well, um, Miles, those were not at all personal and very riveting. I hope everybody has a great rest of um, your unspecified dates. Thank you so much, Miles.
Well, folks. So now we can do it. Oh. What? I was going to say, now we can do it. Now we can talk about the job search. Oh, yeah. Now we're going to do the thing. Yes, we are. We're going to get there. We're getting there. We're getting there. So, folks, thank you so much for all the would you rather questions and all the answers that were in no way, shape, or form uh, personalized or specific to anyone here on this um, current episode. So without further ado, we're now going to get into our conversation on the job search. Um, So once again, we are going to talk about what happens when you start getting to the yes, or you think you're about to get to the yes. What are some things to think about to consider? Um, So, you know, Kate, can you first tell us or describe what goes on through your head when you think you're getting an offer from a job? Well, I think ideally it's some extreme excitement, right? I mean, this process is long and tough sometimes. And um, gosh, sometimes when you're in the thick of it, it feels like that offer is never going to come. So I hope that there's some pretty intense uh, excitement. Um, You know, receiving an offer is really exciting. Um, You know, even if it's, we'll talk about this, but even if it's not where you end up, I hope you feel uh, sort of bolstered by getting an offer that someone sees potential in you and is excited about you joining their team. So I think probably um, the thing that's harder to do is to remain calm when you get that offer. Um, so I think there's a kind of a, a balance, a fine line between showing that excitement and and remaining like, you know, not over the top on the phone call when you receive that, like, not you know, don't scream maybe in their ear. Um, so how do you, you know, express thanks and enthusiasm um, I've been on both ends of that call, right? Been on the end of receiving a, an offer, been on the end of giving an offer. And as someone giving an offer, I want to hear that that person is excited and um, that they are enthusiastic about joining your team. Um, I do think though that sometimes that enthusiasm can cloud our judgment in the moment. Um, sometimes we um, maybe too quickly say, count me in. Like, yes, 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 yes. You sent, you called me, I'm in, Dan, I want it. Um, so I think it's reasonable and I'm not reasonable. I think it's expected. You should give yourself some time to think through that offer. Um, so, you know, it's again, expressing thanks and enthusiasm when that happens. Um, and then asking for, you know, 48 hours or so to consider the offer, ask for it in writing. Um, and then, you know, go back and process with your people. I also like the, the, yeah, you're, the existence of I can be really excited and also be not necessarily cautious, but there are decisions to be made. Like you, if you you shouldn't ever. I don't care if if you were like this is everything lines up for me and you know that taking that extra minute to be able to really think through things. Yes, you can be excited, but as someone who is easily excitable, I think it's also giving yourself time to be like, okay, does this actually line up with what I want? And you know, giving a little bit of. Um, wiggle room to yourself, especially for those of you who are searching straight from grad school. I know that first offer is so exciting, especially because you have like a time limit on your grad assistantship, but giving yourself that time um, is just so important. Yeah. And I really like the point you made, Kate, about just feeling excited first and foremost about like, wow, like I did this, like I got this, like I accomplished something because I definitely agree, you know, when you're in the moment of job searching and you're just like, it feels like you're just kind of running side to side in a little bit and just like looking for it. It's like, okay, can someone just say yes? Like, please, can someone, I'm a great catch. Can you catch me, please? Uh, I very much remember that in grad school. Um, and I'm sure it'll be similar, you know, the next time around if and when that'll happen. But, you know, really think about it in grad school, you know, to Erica's point, you are a really time limited because you are like, you know, you're like the, the countdown is on. 
I graduate this day and I feel like I need a job after this point, especially for folks um, who don't have like financial safety nets or like I cannot afford to just coast for a couple of months. I'm going to have to find something in the meantime, but I do appreciate the note of just being excited because it is an accomplishment, especially as always a shout out to our first generation students who finally feel like finally, like this is the thing that I've been aiming for for so long um, in college and now in grad school. Now finally, like I'm about to get there. So, you know, I do want to give a shout out to the first gen folks because y'all are doing it and we can do it. So absolutely get excited about it. All the snaps, the snaps don't come across well on my mic, but just know they were there. So, okay. So let's think about this, right? You, you get an offer. Oh my gosh. We're excited. What, what are the actual tangibles? What, what needs to happen? And, and I think if you don't mind answering this both from like, yes, I'm hundred percent ready. Um, and we'll get into this a little bit uh, more, but like just one of the logistic things, whether or not you're hundred percent set on this job. Yeah. So for sure, again, I think, you know, taking a step back, pausing, reflecting, giving your space, um, yourself space to process. Um, I think a couple of factors come in sort of right off the bat. One, um, again, get that offer in writing. Um, Cause I think sometimes, you know, things can get sort of misconstrued over in a verbal conversation. And um, so I think getting in writing is kind of my first, my first piece of advice. Um, and then I think, you know, it depends maybe the, the next place you need to go to is if, if you're in other search, search process, ooh, other search processes, you have some others you need to connect with, right? Like you need to know where they are in that process. Um, they need to know that you have an offer on the table. Um, I talk to a lot of grads who are really uncomfortable with that. They're like, well, I'm just going to wait and see if it happens to come through before I, you know, have to tell this other position. No, like again, as someone who's given an offer, I would, I would much rather know, you know, if, if we're waiting on HR processes to go through and I know, you know, that I really want a certain candidate and then I find out that they accept another offer because I was a day late or two days late. I mean, I would be devastated by that. You know, by the time you've figured out who your final candidate is and who you really want, you're pretty invested in that person. Um, so don't be afraid to do that. Don't be afraid to go to, you know, um, if you've done an on-campus interview and you're just waiting to hear back and to say, hey, I have this other offer on the table and I just would love to know where you are in your process so that I can weigh both offers, right? Um, that's not off-putting. That is not you, you know, meddling in their process in any way, shape, or form. If they are really excited about you, um, they will do things to try to push that search forward and, and, and do everything in their power to, to go quickly to get you an offer um, to be able to consider against your other. Um, I think from there, this might sound like such simple advice, but I really think like the tried and true kind of like pro con list is, is how I go about when I receive an offer, right? Like, what am I so excited about? So um, like, is a just, you know, hits it out of the park for me about this job. And what is it that's like, Ooh, I'm just, I don't, I'm not sure or feels, you know, like it could be not what I was looking for. Um, and I think there's a lot of ways that you can sort of could go about that. I think you need to think about the position, right? So what about this position <laughs> excites me? Um, I think you need to think about the institution overall. So the position might be awesome, but the institution might be one that you just don't jive with very well. And that's going to matter. You know, your position, you can love every single job responsibility that you have, but if you're doing that in a context or environment that is not right for you, um, that's not going to last very long. That feeling of enjoying your job is not going to last very long. 
Um, you know, I think then you have to think about the personal pieces. So like the location, where are you, where is this job requiring that you move to? And is that somewhere that you can see yourself? Um, you know, if you have a partner or um, other family or other, you know, responsibilities, I'll say, um, to other people who might be moving with you, that's a huge piece of this. What's the job market look like for someone else who might have to be doing a job search with you? Um, and then I think thinking about, you know, this might seem really far out, especially for first year grads, or excuse me, first time job searchers coming out of grad school. Um, you know, I think you're thinking about the here and now, but I, I think you also have to think about your career trajectory. And is this job going to set you up for the next job? Um, I don't think, you know, I've heard people say, I think you can only stay in your for X amount of years. I don't necessarily believe that to be true. Um, but I do think you need to think about, am I going to be challenged in this job for a couple of years to want to stay there? Is it going to set me up is, onto a path for my next role? Um, so yeah, I think those are sort of the things that when you get an offer, you've got to think about and you've got to weigh. Um, I think you have a lot of ways to gather information. You can certainly lean on your network that hopefully you've already had some conversations with when you were in the search process, right? I hope if you know someone at that institution, you've already talked to them, but if you haven't, now's the time, right? Get that information about the institution overall or the department. Um, and then I think, you know, if you're in, then let the employer know. And that's great. If you're not, if that pro-con list ends up being, ooh, this is just not the fit for me, I think sometimes that's harder, right? It's harder to have to call someone and tell them no. Um, one, I think you have to call them and tell them no. Um, that is always my advice to grads um, or to anyone that gets an offer, especially, you know, if they have called you with the offer, I think it is um, an expectation that you would call them back with the, you know, you know, don't, don't send an email, don't send a text, <laughs> like call them back. Um, the field is small enough that, you know, those things matter. Those, you know, those things will get back to other people, unfortunately. Um, so, you know, figure out how to tell them no. And sometimes that can be hard. I think more is less. I think sometimes people feel like they have to give a big justification for why. And, you know, I've got to talk to them for 20 minutes and lay out all the reasons that I'm not coming. Um, I don't think that's true. I think you can, politely decline an offer and, and give some pretty minimal context for why like tell them about the things that didn't fit for you, but don't feel like you have to write a book about it. As always, Eric and I are doing our little tango over, over our muted zoom calls to try to figure out who is going to jump in and talk about it. Okay. I really like what you were talking about specifically with just taking some time and taking a step back to like really think about things again I know you know it's great to be excited but I, you know I, I very much agree with what you were saying earlier about like how sometimes that excitement could cloud us cloud our judgment and make us say yes initially because we could just go wrapped up and I mean there were things even when I accepted my job that I was like wow I wish I would have thought to ask about this or I wish I would have thought to ask about that and um and you know not that I regret what, what ended up happening, but for sure, I was like, man, I wish I would have at least attempted to have tried this, attempted this conversation, uh, for sure. Um, and then the, what, what you were specifically talking about, like thinking about where this job is going to lead you to, like in the, in the next couple of years, I know something that I really appreciated about the the role that I landed in um, is that it was a newer role. So there was like room to like grow it out and to develop new things and to add additional responsibilities. So, and that was something that excited me because I knew, okay, that means that I could probably be here for a little while because like, I'm going to get some time to like play around with different things. And not to say every job is going to be like that, where it's like, Oh, this is like a new role you get to build out. Some are going to be a little bit, uh, I think more specific about like, this is what you're doing. This is, this is like your job. Um, but of course that, that was a pro that I was looking for. Um, and something I want to just add about that and 
specifically around the first jobs. And I definitely talk about this with graduate students specifically is that I think there's a lot of pressure on that first job to be the everything job, to be the dream job. Like this is like, I can't say yes to this because this is, this does not cross a hundred percent off of my list. Um, and that's not me saying I'm not advocating for lowering our standards or accepting um, jobs that we're not committed to, but understanding like your first job does not have to be your dream job. Like that job can help prepare you for what will be your dream job. Um, because again, I think there's a lot of pressure on that first First job, like I know folks who got multiple offers and can decline multiple offers in a lot of ways. And, you know, that that's everybody's choice, not definitely not shaming or shading, um, but just being cognizant that like there is a lot of pressure on that first job and you don't have, it doesn't have to be, you know, a hundred percent of what you're looking for, because that could be the next job. Um, because what your first job is not going to be everything you want under the sun potentially. Um, and that's just because of, you know, being entry level and, you know, the scope of entry level work and it'll, it'll look different a little bit later down in your career for sure. I totally agree. Agassi. And I think too, like I've come to realize, I think recently just what a, a privilege it is to like, say, oh, I'm going to get my dream job or I'm going to follow my passions or, you know, like the reality for, for a lot of people for is, you know, like you, you need some, you need a job to pay off some student loan debt. And, you know, like, so maybe the job isn't perfect. Um, but again, like you said, it's preparing you for the next, the next thing that may be perfect, but maybe in this moment, the thing that's really amazing about the job is that you can live on campus and save some money, right. And pay off some student loan debt. So like thinking about, there's a lot of factors. And I think, sometimes we get caught up in, in this idea of what is my dream job and how, what does it mean to align perfectly with every single passion that I have? And, um, I just, you know, I think that is the ideal, but I think that there's a lot of privilege in, in being able to wait until you can find that, that position or, um, yeah, to be able to have every single one of those boxes checked off. Yeah, and you definitely even touched on that as well when you were mentioning the, um, you know, being honest with the people who are calling you with the offer. I know that when Miles called me for my offer, um, I was in other job processes. Um, I was in the middle of other searches. So, like, I was honest and said, hey, I'm actually in some other searches right now. I would appreciate some time. You know, what is the maximum amount of time that I have to think about this? And he said, well, we need to make a decision soon so I could give you X amount of time. I'm like, okay, perfect. So like, there's an understanding there. Again, I think this also applies to like graduate assistantships. Like we know, like employers know that you are looking around at other places. Like there's no, like when I work with graduate, you know, when I'm interviewing graduate assistants for like our program and to have assistantships, it's not like I have the mindset of like, this is the only institution they're looking at. This is the only job they're looking at. No, like there's competing interests. There's a lot of factors to consider. And it's the same with the job, the job search. Um, So being honest with the fact that like, Hey, here's where I'm at. I thank you so much for the offer. First and foremost, you should always say, you know, like, thank you. And again, I think Kate talked about this, but the, the general level of excitement, but there, it's no secret that you're probably applying to other jobs. And again, like we, let me not say we like hiring folks want to make sure they're making the best decision and someone who truly wants to be there. So like the worst thing in the world, not the worst thing, but something that would not be the greatest in the world would be to hire someone then have them feel like, wow, I was like in the middle of this other process. I wish I would have seen what that other process would have panned out like. And cause that may lead to some unhappiness later down the line. So like, I think it just saves um, feelings on both ends in that case. Okay, Kate. So I think we talked about this. Well, we haven't talked about this specifically. Let me back up just a second. But let's talk about negotiation. So you get an offer. They say, here's the offer. Here's a number. 
you know, how do you feel? Like, how do you navigate that conversation? And you're like, um, I think this number could look a little different. You know, how do you approach that conversation? This is for me, the hardest part of the job process. It's the part that I'm the most uncomfortable with. Um, it is, it is a challenge. And so, um, yeah, I'm going to share some information that I actually got from, I've had the opportunity to be a facilitator for a program that the AAUW, the American Association of University Women, developed, and it's called Start Smart, um, and it's specifically developed for women in the negotiation process in an effort to reduce the gender gap, um, gender pay gap, but I've found that a lot of the tactics are pretty universal, no matter your social identities. Um, so, so one, I would say <laughs> this recommendation is coming from... Um, their their guidance and I think it's really great guidance but I will tell you that even as I spout it off as if it's like oh you just do this I don't believe it's that easy and I think I think it is really hard and um if I'm talking personally I don't think I, I do this particularly well so we'll just own that but um they recommend a four-step process and so in negotiation negotiation the first thing they say is that you've got to really be prepared for that negotiation um, by knowing your value, right? Like you have to know what you bring to the job. Um, how can you really confidently um, and succinctly and appropriately articulate the value that you're going to bring and the contribution that you'll make to that position? Um, and, you know, you also have to do it in a way that's going to resonate with the employer, right? So just saying like, you know, if you spout out, I value these things and I have these skill sets and they don't, matter to the job. They're not things they're looking for in that job. That means pretty little to the employer. So my recommendation is always to go through and, you know, hopefully you've done this in your job search process. And as you've like written a cover letter and as you've prepared for an interview, but like really highlighting things in the job description, that's like, I do this, or I know this, or I have this, you know, so you can spout it back to them in the language that they used, right? Like I have this skill set. I would bring this training or this education or this experience to the role. Um, the second thing that they recommend in the process, the second step is to really prepare yourself with some objective research about what you should be paid. Um, I think that's kind of hard in student affairs. In my experience, salaries are all over the board, um, but you can get that information. They, the AUW recommends salary.com as a way to do that. Um, the cool thing about salary.com is that it's employer, excuse me, it's em, yeah, employer reported information, not employee reported. So it's directly coming from the employer saying, this is what we pay people. Um, you know, some institutions like where we are at Clemson, we salaries are public information at a certain level. So that's information you could search and try to find out. Um, you know, friends and colleagues, it's, it's appropriate, you know, I think to ask certain people in your network about what you should expect to be paid for the requirements of the position, the, um, you know, required education experience. Um, so, you know, the recommendation that I have in AUW has is when you're setting sort of your target salary, that you want to aim sort of at or above the median of what people in those positions make, right? So I think sometimes we look at the at a range and think, oh, like, as long as I'm in that range somewhere, or they, we undersell ourselves and, and put ourselves at the bottom of that range. Um, if you meet the requirements of the position, you should be at or above the median, um, sort of no questions asked. If it's, a, if it's a stretch, maybe the position requires four years of experience and you only are coming in with two, you know, maybe then you're looking median or a little bit below, but I would still say looking like at the median, you should be not trying to undersell yourself. Um, 
the thing I really have come to learn about this and um, that makes a lot of sense to me is when you're thinking about a target salary that you should always phrase it as a range. Um, and this is particularly true for women because I think sometimes we face some um, some bias in the uh, employment process, but they say that you seem more approachable if you have a range. So if I come to you, Agassi, and say, like, I want to make $45,000, that that might sound to some people overly assertive or demanding. But if I say I'm looking to make 45 to 48,000, it all of a sudden makes me look more approachable, right? Like, oh, she's like, she's willing to, to like negotiate, willing to have a conversation about it. Even though if you notice the bottom of my range was what I actually want, 45,000, right? And so you set yourself up to be able to sort of have a conversation, Um the other thing they recommend is really knowing what they call their walkaway point. So like, what is the amount that I just cannot go below? And that should be informed somewhat by like your, your personal budget. Like, what do you need to live? But it shouldn't be only informed by your personal budget. Like, just because you can live off a certain amount doesn't mean that that's what you should be paid, right? I mean, just because you can save and, and be frugal doesn't mean that that should be all that an employer is willing to give you. But it should be informed somewhat by that. Um, and then the fourth thing is really to consider your benefits. So I think sometimes we do run into sort of a dead end with negotiating salary. Sometimes institutions sort of have their hands tied with what they're able to do at the salary, um, in the salary conversation. Maybe they are, you know, I've certainly been in a situation where I've had to call someone and say like, this is as much as I'm able to give you. And I'm sorry, there's just like not room to negotiate. Um, but where we could maybe have some conversation and some negotiating is around the benefits. Are there things that we can you know, professional development funds is one that, you know, comes to mind for me, but so does flexibility at work and, you know, um, flex time and comp time and things like that. They matter, especially when a lot of us work a lot of nights and weekends. Um, being able to have a flexible schedule, I think, is something that you could talk to a, a supervisor about. So I think the, the list of potential benefits is kind of endless, but um, I would just encourage you not to forget those things. Yeah, absolutely. The Once they give you the offer, the ball's in your court. Like legitimately, um, as someone who has extended offers to folks before, to graduate students specifically, we like, and this kind of extends into, you know, professional work. We want you like that there you have been given the offer and now it's you, with the ball in your court. It's a matter of, okay, what's going to get you over to here. Um, I know when I've offered to graduate students, like, I'm like, okay, like what are things, you know, do you have questions? Are there still concerns? Like, again, with the idea of like, I want you to say yes, because I want you to be in this role. And again, and if you're not interested and you, and you kind of, you know, and this kind of gets back to our conversation just a second ago, if you're not interested and you kind of thought about it and you realize this is not the thing you need to tell them. Like you need to tell them because I think it's it's cordial to let them know like, hey, you should probably move on to the next person. And maybe that's after this conversation, this negotiation conversation um, where Kate mentioned, you know, know your walkaway points. Like, no, like, nope, like, I'm sorry. Like, this is like where I cut off. But, and we've kind of talked about this on the podcast before, but, you know, know where you can be flexible. And sometimes your non-negotiables can be a little bit more negotiable than you think because, Kate raises a really great point about, you know, maybe the benefits that you'll receive from this role supplement maybe the income that um, is lost between like what you wanted and what they're giving. Um, maybe it's professional development, maybe it's flexibility. And again, I know we're talking about negotiations, but like, it's not just about your salary. It is about all these other things. It's access to resources, it's access to development. And, you know, all those things could, again, 
outweigh maybe some of the the losses or some of the cons of like the the smaller paycheck that maybe you're kind of pulling when that d- definitely be cognizant of like what you need to survive and live for sure um but also like understand like no i can do a little i can i can handle getting paid a little less because i know i get all these benefits um a piece of advice that I was given before um, I started my first job process in terms of negotiation was just, you just got to say it and you just got to get it out of your mouth because I, as someone who has done negotiation, I felt so weird doing it to be like, Hey, I really, thank you so much. I'm really excited. Can we talk about this number? And I promise you, I had to just almost, if anybody has seen the movie Happy Feet, when the little penguin has to trick himself to like go down the iceberg and he's like, I'm not going to look. No, I'm not going. Whoa! And then he like flies off. That's what I had to do almost, but like salary negotiation. Kate is absolutely right where sometimes it does feel like a battle. I really picture it sometimes also like I'm on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? And then the, the theme music plays and all the lights go down. And like once you say, can we negotiate? And that is what I picture. Um, but again, they want you. So it's a matter of like just being honest and it is a conversation. It's not, this is a, I'm interested. Okay. Now let's talk about how you can get me there because again, the ball's in your court. I just retweet. Oh my gosh. This was, this was not me like not retweeting. Cause I'm like, yes, I agree. I literally don't, I, I wouldn't even know where to start with negotiation. So this was like a very selfish question in some ways, because I just wanted to know like how to especially as a woman, especially um, as first gen. I mean, I feel like if someone would have asked me, you think like if they didn't have the posted salary, they did the, you know, the thing I hate the most, commensurate with experience, rolling my eyes. I think I'd be like, oh, it kind of looks like maybe this, but I don't know, you can pay me $2 and I'd be here, which is not the case. Knowing your worth, I think is so crucial. And there are lots of websites, especially if you're thinking about a bigger city or an area you're not really familiar with, what would it cost you to live comfortably there? Again, I know for, for those who are searching, especially right now, it feels like you need something. But if you are going to accept a job and not be able to live the life that you want or even you know, live decently comfortable or if you have family members you're taking care of, you have to go in knowing that and, and hold firm and be like, I literally cannot live if you give me less than this. And not to shade higher ed too much, but we do have some positions out there where I'm just, how are you expecting people to be able to do this? And part of that is the value placed on student affairs. But I will tell you, there are also institutions that value what you do and pay you to do really good work and that you can live and that you can save. But I, I know your worth. I love the range conversation. I love the idea of go a little bit higher. Cause I also think like, if I'm too high and you bring me down, okay. I at least tried, but if I go low and they're like, great, I'm going to, you know, shot myself in the foot a little bit. So I, I think that that's a really, I, I just really love this. Um, and I was taking notes on the side. So. Yeah. I mean, I'm Erica, it is, I'm with you. It is hard. And, and again, I, I teach this stuff in this, I have had the opportunity to facilitate this workshop several times and Every time I do it, I'm like, take your own advice, Kate. Like, I like listen to this, but yeah, I know like putting it into practice is really hard. You know, I think one of the things that I've learned that has made this a little bit easier too is, 
is to really like think about this as a conversation. Like I think sometimes we use the word negotiation. It's like, this is a battle. And, you know, like I think about like crisis negotiation, like hostages, right? Like that's not what we're talking about here. Like the reality is by the time that you've gotten an offer, well, let me say, by the time you're negotiating, you should have the offer and know that you're the person. So don't even entertain negotiation conversations before you receive an offer because you do shoot yourself in the foot, I think on that. So you need the offer and then you start having this conversation. But by the time they've given you an offer, like we all know it's sometimes it is, it is a process to get to that point. Like they have put in the work to, to get you approved, to do background checks, to do all that. They want you there. Um, so have, you know, treat it as a conversation with someone who wants you there, but that you also have things that you want in this process. And how can we like work together on that and really think of it not as a battle, but as a conversation. And they expect you to negotiate. I think that's the thing that people underestimate too. Like, you know, you feel the pressure of like, oh God, I have to bring up this conversation. Any employer offering a position knows that conversation is coming. Like they know it's coming. They expect you to do it. And if you don't, you've, you've, you've let them off the hook, right? You've let them like, you've let them avoid an awkward conversation that they're also probably dreading to a point. Like it's, it's hard on both ends. Um, so don't let them off the hook, have the conversation. Again, taking notes on the side. Um, okay, so Kate, wow. Oh my gosh, 10 out of 10. This was so helpful. Is there anything else you want to share or anything that we did not ask that you think, oh my gosh, if you are about to get an offer and you listen to this episode and then the offer comes right after, here's what should be in your head or, or anything we, we just didn't get. Yeah, you know, I think only other thing I would say is if you are sitting in that place of, I don't know if I want this job, right? We talked about like, sometimes it's going to be a slam dunk and it's going to be a, yes, I want to accept in this moment. And I'm gonna have to hold myself back from doing that um, in the moment. And sometimes it's a, oh gosh, I'm just not sure. Um, one is to trust your gut. Um, I think like if you have red flags or you have concerns, like you need to sit with that and ask yourself why that is. Um, you know, I think if it's just that you're not sure because you think the grass is greener somewhere else, or you you're you're a kind of person that's always gonna wonder, well, like what might you know, I'm gonna accept this tomorrow and what job might open up on, you know, Monday. Um, that's always gonna be there. That's real. And I think you do have to kind of get past that a little bit. Like you're always gonna wonder what could be, what else might be out there. But if if that's your only red flag, then like 
okay, work through that. And, and hopefully you are ready to accept the job. But if there's something beyond that, if it's like some real concerns, you, you need to listen to that. Um, again, I, I said, I think that that in, in a lot of ways is a privilege, um, but I've also seen too many people end up in positions that um, they really weren't happy in. And they were unhappy when they got there for the exact reasons that they predicted they were going to be unhappy about. And it's, it's you know, I never want to be a person that's an I told you so person, but in my head, I'm like, oh God, you, you told yourself that and you knew you were going to be unhappy. So um, listen to that. Don't let other people sort of talk you into something that you're not comfortable with. Um, yeah, if you're, if you're still thinking, if you are not really, really feeling confident, I think you just, you need to dig deeper and ask yourself those questions and really process sort of where that's coming from. Um, the other thing I would say, you know, we, we, the joke in student affairs, right, is that we don't make a lot of money. And, and that is, that is real um, in a lot of ways, which is certainly not the highest paid folks in the world. Um, but you know, that walk away point, I think is really important, like to know in advance, what is it that I just, I, I'm not going to take, I've, I've worked too hard, I have <laughs> given too much, right, um, I had a, a, someone in grad school told me at some point, I mean, it was probably a really hard lesson to learn, but like, the institution is never going to give you back what you gave it, like it can, an institution can never love you like you love it, and that was like hard for me to hear, I was like, whoo, that is, some truth and that hurts. Um, but I think that's true. I think like we will, we're willing to sacrifice things, um, personally, um, that, that maybe we shouldn't for a place that is never going to be able to give that back to us. And, and, and that's hard. Um, but I think, you know, know your value, know what you're worth and, and don't settle. Hey, thank you so much. Oh my gosh. Don't settle. Don't let anyone steal your sparkle, including institutions. I might not fit hundred percent, but I felt like I needed to say here. Um, we really appreciate your time and your insight because I think it's really hard to job search and hopefully throughout this whole arc. And especially today, those of you listening, um, feel a little more comfortable and, and feel like you can advocate for yourself and know what's important to you and know what you can negotiate on and all those different things. Um, so we just are very thankful, Kate, for you spending some time with us today. Thanks for having me. It was a blast. Yay. So you happy Friday. Thanks again, everyone, for joining us um, for the first five years presented by Saxa. And as always, thanks to Miles Surratt and editing. Well, Agassi edits, Miles produces. Thanks to both of you for being candidates and welcome. If you would like more information on SACSA, the Southern Association for College Student Affairs, on the various social media sites, you can find them on Facebook at facebook.com backslash SACSA fan page, at Twitter at SACSA tweets, and on Instagram at SACSAgrams. If you would like to connect with me or Erica, you can find us primarily on Twitter. Um, you can find me at Agassi, that is A-G-A-S-S-Y underscore R. And Erica, what about you? I am Erica M underscore Aguiar. That's Erica with the C and the last name is A-G-U-I-A-R. Kate, are you? So this is a big joke in my office. I, I'm not, I mean, I, yeah, I'm not the most active person. Um, and so this is, you know, this feels old school at this point, but as a bad social media or media or that doesn't, you know, bad social media person. Um, I'm perfectly happy for people to connect with me via email. Um, I know that's, that's old school maybe, but um, Radford, just my last name, R-A-D-F-O-R-D at Clemson.edu. Um, but yeah, thanks.
Thanks everyone again. And thanks, Kate. We'll see you next time.